Improbable victory on Sunday over Houston. Um, if you look at the situation on paper, you shouldn't win this game. You're without your three top tackles. You've got a guy you just promoted from the practice squad to play right tackle, and you find a way to win this football game. Your defense comes through for you. Jarrell Casey plays what I think is one of the ten greatest games in his career with a couple of sacks. You find a way to run the football 34 times, which is a key stat for this club. You don't rush for a lot of yards. You steal points on one of the best executed fake punts I've ever seen, and you win the ball game over a good Houston team. Yeah, and it was a tremendous win. I mean, I think it was one of the better wins this franchise has had as far as improbable wins. I know John McClain, our buddy in Houston, wrote about being one of the most embarrassing losses in Texans history because they felt like they shouldn't lose this game. As you mentioned, all the injuries from the quarterback to the offensive line, uh, you know, playing the first time without Delaney Walker had to have some guys rise up and I've written about this and Mike you remember this game in 2003 I don't know why it came back to me like this as kind of a comparison comparison moment but when the Titans traveled to Foxborough in 2003 during the regular season Patriots were missing seven starters Mike Vrabel was one of those starters uh, you know Willie McGinnis was one of those starters uh, across the board, they were decimated by injuries. Mike Cloud ended up being their running back at the end because they had so many guys banged up. But And I don't think anybody in that Boston area media market thought that they'd win that game. I still remember that very clear. So I think it was kind of a similar feeling going into this game. And I think the head coach has changed the mindset here. He didn't want to hear excuses. People ask him on Friday, oh, it's going to be a tough challenge with these tackles going up against J.J. Watt. How tough is it going to be playing without the quarterback? How tough is it going to be for some of these tight ends? He didn't want to hear any of it. He shut it down, said, hey, you're in the NFL. You've got to step up and play. And uh, and that's kind of the approach they took going in. And I think that's part of the reason why these guys rose up like they did and played as a team. And I think it's a great sign moving forward. Something that's been talked about a lot, but I feel as though it needs to be talked about more, is the Titans coaching in this game. I think that from the plays that they installed throughout the week to the way that they managed the actual game, I think that it has just been phenomenal. And I was very proud of this Titans team in week two to look that put together. Yeah, they did. And they didn't make any big mistakes that would cost them the game. And that's what they had to do. Yeah, they had a penalty and they didn't catch every pass. Not saying that. Nobody plays perfect. But you just don't want to have the big killer mistake. If you throw an interception that's returned for a touchdown, you lose this game. Mm -hmm. If you give up a 90-yard touchdown, you lose this game. And they didn't do that. Yeah, and I think Amy's got a good point as far as the coaching staff because, uh, you know, you look at they, they knew they had to do some things to – uh, to create some momentum, to think outside the box. We saw that with a fake pun early. We saw that with a wildcat coming in. We saw that with a going forward on fourth and one uh, deep in your own territory. And I think 
the way Mike Vrabel preached to his team it's going to take us running the ball this amount of plays. It's going to take us holding them this certain amount of points. It's going to take us playing this style of football. Everything came true like he said it would. And uh, it's a great moment for Mike Vrabel as a head coach from a national perspective. But it's also a big moment for him, uh, I think, in gaining the trust of this football team because they did what exactly what he said uh, would happen. Yeah, it feels like this team, if they hadn't already bought in, which I think they had, I do too. this is proof in the pudding. Right. You can see very clearly, we said this was going to happen, this is what happened, we executed, we won. Well, it's funny because when we were doing the OTP last Thursday, we think we haven't gone out to practice yet. We think Marcus Mariota's playing. We think Dennis Kelly's going to be the right tackle. And, you, and you're down. You know, it's it's still the big issue is how are you going to replace Delaney Walker? But so much happened after we got off the air doing this show and even after we got off the air doing Titans Tonight on Titans Radio Thursday night and then it went into Saturday with all of these incredible uncertainties. The only other game that I remember like that that was improbable, and you may or may not remember this one, November – 2004 at Jacksonville and that was a game that season the Titans were so decimated by injuries it was after that year they had to break up the band they tried to keep the team together one more time in 2005 they were going to be 30 million over the cap or something like that so they had after the 2004 season they were going to have to break up the team well the problem was in 2004 everybody got hurt Everybody. Go to Jacksonville. Jacksonville has a good team. David Garrard is filling in for Byron Leftwich at this point. And in warm-ups, the backup safety, a guy named Scott McGarahan, got hurt. And so they had to play a guy named Justin Sandy, who was an undrafted guy. Sounds like an undrafted guy. And then at the end of the ball game, they were so desperate. I think Sandy got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. They had to put in a guy named Rich Gardner. Remember him? Went to Penn State. Went to Penn State. He's a third-round draft pick. Rich should have been – Rich just wasn't real good. Well, Rich didn't – Sorry, Rich. With Eric Morris, he <laughs> came in the same draft class. Am I right about that? No, he ca- – Morris came in with Bobby Myers. That's exactly right. Because they came in – they were the two Big Ten guys yes. that we thought would anchor the secondary for Robertson and uh, Bishop, that they would be the two That's guys right. that would take over. Um, so, anyway, they put they – put, Rich Gardner in at the end of the game, and David Garrard throws him the ball with 17 seconds to go. Titans win 18 to 15, and it was exactly like the score sounded. It was a, it was incredibly <laughs> serious. It should have never happened, but the players bought into Jeff Fisher and, and staff's message, and that's the last time I remember the Titans really winning one like that. I'm not talking about an upset. I'm talking about a game that. On paper, you absolutely should not win. Right. And when you put a guy in who doesn't know where to line up, basically, and the other team, because he's misaligned, throws him the ball because they're like, surely nobody would be there. Yep. Ha-ha. Yeah. Ball (laughs) game. Well, well, it's good to get one of those early, especially – uh, with what's coming up, and this is a big game on Sunday coming up against Jacksonville. You didn't want to go down there 0-2. Now this team's not going down there 0-2, going down there with a little bit of momentum. But obviously Jacksonville is fired up and ready to go on their end as well. So it kind of sets the stage for uh, for what should be an intense Sunday afternoon. Do you realize Tennessee's won four of the last five in this series? 
I knew they had won two in a row, but they had won uh, they had won two before they lost the December game in 2016. So I guess they won the the second black, matchup of 2015. That was the Marcus Mariota 87 yard run game. Oh yes, 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 I remember that. And then the Titans had won the first game in 16, 16. and then lost the second one. Uh, this series is interesting. This will be the 48th game in the series. The 25th played in Jacksonville. And my most interesting note is there's never been an overtime game. Well, let's keep that streak alive. In the history of this series, there has never been an overtime game. T-I-A-A Bank Field. Hmm. Is the new name? I've changed the name down there a lot of times. They have. Years. They have. It was Everbank. It was Everbank last year. Everfield Bank. Everbank Field. Everbank Field. Yes, yes. of course. T I A A Bank Field is the name. Yeah, there's no chance I'm going to remember that. Well, you're I not going to have to say it. it. Yeah, that's all you, Mike. Make yourself right. a note. So, what did we see at practice yesterday, Jim White? We saw Marcus Mariota out there. Working with a glove on his hand, a, a unique glove, a glove that had a couple of fingers cut out because as he's still trying to manage the injury that he's dealing with. Uh, split reps with Blaine Gabbert, kind of the start of a work week where we're just going to have to see how it plays out at, at the quarterback position, see how Marcus is able to do. I thought during the open period that we were able to watch, I saw some passes flutter, but then I saw him settle down and make some good throws. So uh, I'm anxious to see what happens out there today. We saw... Taylor Lewan out there working with Mike Vrabel early in practice and as he kind of makes his way back from the concussion that held him out last week. We saw Jack Conklin uh, out there on the practice field, so it's good to see your two starters, uh, at least projected starters, moving forward uh, on the field. And um, and you saw a team that I thought had a good practice uh, at the start of a week that's uh, going to you know gonna really need to go down there and play well. He hit all the high points. You wrote something down, though, so I figured you had a... <laughs> oh, no, I was I, I was writing down a note about Taylor Lewan and the head coach going up against you. So, I mean, when Mike Vrabel works out with some of these guys on the side during individual period, he's not just coaching them. Well, and let's, let's be honest here, if we could, on the old OTP. Let's, please. He digs that. Oh, gosh. He's all having the, a field day. Oh, the head coach. I mean, but he, he has he the pads loves, on. He, well, he's got, the, he's got the chest protector like an umpire wears. Mm -hmm. And he gets into it, you know, going with these guys. I mean, you can't totally take the player out of Mike Vrabel. Oh, no. And he is full into it. And we had seen him working a lot with linebackers and defensive linemen and things like that. Him and Taylor Lewan, because you know who else wants a chance to hit the head coach? Taylor Lewan. The Michigan guy. Uh-huh. So the two of them are going up. It's like two bears just, mm -hmm. like, wrestling back there. It was it was something. I was looking for something else and trying to accomplish something at practice. I stood just dead where I could watch the two of them go for probably well, why would 10 you not minutes. think that was worthy of a comment? Well, That's a I good just, comment. Yeah, well. what, what's funny is you can't take the smart aleck out of Taylor Lewan either because uh, Vrabel said after practice that Lewan at one point said, hey, you look like you've lost a step. <laughs> and Vrabel said, of course I've lost a step. I'm 43 years old. If you can't, can't block me, we're in big trouble moving forward. So – uh, it was pretty funny, that, uh, and uh, you could tell that they were having fun while also getting some work in. Yeah, Taylor's not far away. I think today may be a big day for him medically is what we're hearing. Yeah, I think you know he still has to get clearance right. uh, from an outside medical source, and 
Mike Vrabel made it sound like that would come today. Uh, you know, Taylor Wan was in the locker room yesterday. Didn't see him around there last week, and he's not allowed to talk to the media while he's in the concussion protocol. But it did sound like he would get clearance at some point this afternoon, which would put him in a position to play on Sunday. Now, that all hinges on how the practice week goes, whether he has any setbacks, how he's feeling. It's hard to know with the concussion, and everybody's different from that standpoint. But uh, you do get the sense that things are trending toward a positive direction. Taylor Lewan was not obviously on the field last Sunday, but he was on the sidelines. He was in the bench area. And I would wager that he was a big part of why the Titans' offensive line was so successful. Let me stop you real quick because you did not have a chance to talk about this on Titans radio because we were kind of in the middle of the action. The game was happening. Well, I mean, mean, it was very close and there was a lot going on. Right. This is a more extended story. So if you would, share the story that you were going to share on Titans radio about specifically what he was doing. I thought this was fascinating. Yeah, he was down on the sidelines, obviously just wearing street clothes, and he was pulling guys, especially Kevin Pomphile pulling him to the side during the defensive periods or when the defense sure. was on the field and was full on going through his stance helping him with technique helping him kind of get set and with his push but he's on the sidelines going up against him I don't know if that's in concussion protocol <laughs> it's probably not but he was he was another coach basically and he's pulling him out doing drills right next to the bench as the game is going on. So Taylor's able to see what's going on, knows what he would do, and correct the guy who's standing in for him after every series, which is so cool. And it was awesome that he put forth that effort to help out his guy. Well, and this goes to what I've said about Taylor all along. And when we did the show with him in 2015 and spent the time with him, and as you get to know him, yes, he's out there. Oh, he's crazy, Case. I, I mean, he's he's completely – whatever you think, add double to that. Mm-hmm. He He's more – I don't know that I've ever encountered a player here who's like Taylor Lewan. Kind of got a different quirky personality. Uh, but to my – but the point that I was going to get to, football is still very important to him. He wants to win. He wants to be a good teammate. He – at at the point that he has to put all of that aside and do the job, he's ready to go do the job to make the improvements that he's had to make. You know, because after his second year, oh, draft Laramie Tunsil, draft Laramie Tunsil, and and if you knew him and you knew how hard he worked, and you also were privy to what we were in that 2015 season and the injury stuff he was playing through, where he essentially couldn't use his left arm because, I mean, he had no power in his left arm, but he's still playing. Guys like that, and and that's what they say when you talk about football, that it takes all kinds, that you have some guys who are by the book and and are as straight-laced, and then you have some guys that you're not sure day-to-day if they're actually going to make it in, and then you have some in the middle, and then you've got just different personalities. But it's about, in large part, your football heart. And for whatever his personality is like, don't ever mistake how much he cares about the game, his performance, and this team. And I think that's the part of it that I hope more people come to know of him. And and he's going to do all the – I mean, he's just going to do what he's going to do. Yeah. 
There and there's no stopping him. And that's very much I mean again, all kind of the goofy stuff and the silly stuff, that's Taylor. Oh, it's him. It's not a show. It's not an act. He's not putting something on. That's how he is every day. Like, if there could be a costume every day, he would wear a costume he every day. He would wear a costume every yeah, day. but he's a little too lazy for that and too big. Hard to get costumes that size. But for all of that and how much that is just his personality, That's right. football is just him. Well, and let's face it, too. Somebody gets near Marcus Mariota. He's going to kill him. First guy you've got a problem with is Taylor Lewan. Fiercely loyal. I mean, and, and that is, you know, and that is deep. I mean, he, he values... Marcus Mariota so much it's it's a it's it's quite a I guess paradox is that the right way to say it I'm not sure exactly how to say it. it's just it's fascinating that in this game that you have all all different sorts of personalities that are I mean football locker rooms are crazy <laughs> in terms of how varied they are mm-hmm. and what's important to guys and who ha- which guys hang around together and you can never quite predict but on the field people love each other mm-hmm. i mean like brothers and that's what it takes yeah i mean you've got to have each other's back and I, and you can fight during the course of the week but once it comes on uh, once you get to Sunday, these guys are going to fight for one another. I mean, just like somebody can say, you can say all, all you want about uh, members of your own family, but you don't want anybody else making a comment about them. And that's kind of the way the locker room is. I didn't observe that about Taylor. I thought that's an interesting story. I, I know yesterday, uh, Marcus Mariota, apparently he gave a pretty fiery uh, talk before the game to challenge teammates, another guy that wasn't playing on Sunday. And I think it's a great sign from a leadership standpoint, that these guys, even when they're not uh, participating, they're still having an impact on what their teammates are doing. And, uh, you know, so this leadership has gotten better. I think that's across the board, you know, on the offensive line, certainly at the quarterback position, uh, on the defense. This locker room has come a long way from that standpoint. Can I tell one more sideline story, even though it's not on our little sheet here? Well, no, sure, go right ahead. Okay. It's your show. Um, It's not my show. Derek Henry was a guy who surprised me on the sidelines as well. He is, I mean, Derrick Henry is more of a quiet guy. He doesn't speak a lot unless he... He's the anti-Taylor He's the anti-Taylor Lewan. That's perfect. After his wildcat extravaganza, he was on the sidelines and he talked to every single person on offense. He went to every single offensive lineman and said something to it, whether it was a, hey, good job, hey, that was great, shaking people's hands. It was like he was running for mayor all of a sudden. And he talked to every single person on offense, whether it was working through something or congratulating them or saying that was really good. I had never seen anything like it. he's never done that. He was embracing that quarterback role in that moment. He was the leader of those plays, and he went to every single one of his guys when they were on the sideline and said something to them. That's it was an crazy. awesome story. Yeah, but that's what's happening to this team. Guys are stepping up. Guys know where they need to fill in. I think some people are noticing the void that is lost by Delaney Walker not being around, and so guys are doing what they need to do to get everybody on the same page. But when I saw Derrick Henry doing that, I was like, there is something going on here. So there you go. It's a neat story. By the Stories way, from the sideline. Injury report. Will that be the Untangibles book two? Uh, yeah, uh, Untangibles. Untangibles book Stories two. from the sideline. I think, the, I think we are the Untangibles. <laughs> you guys are the Untangibles oh, no, of this show. No, all the three of us. We are all <laughs> the Untangibles. It's like a band. <laughs> uh, so I get two guys didn't practice yesterday. Dennis Kelly, who's not been back in the building uh, due to the illness. 
David flew well, and we get a look there at the injury report. Flew did the groin injury early in the ball game, and that's why uh, Dalen Dawkins was called up from the practice squad. That's right, and uh, I don't know what the the length is going to be as far as David Flewellen's uh, inability to play, but uh, you know Dawkins was, a, was kind of a surprise underdog story out of camp. I think a lot of people had Akram Wadley making this team. You mean and, Jim Whitehead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wadley making. Was that what you were saying? Oh well, I, I know, I know, I was not the lone ranger no, here no, going into uh, going into competition, but Dawkins rose to the occasion, and he's going to be available to help. Uh, you know, Flewellen's a good special teams guy. He, really, he's really helped this team. Uh, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on another guy who was added to the injury report yesterday, and that's uh, – I know you're going to get to Derek Kenry with the back uh, who was limited, but um, certainly need, uh, you know, need as many bodies there as you can get going into this game. Uh, six guys were limited, and Henry was, was one of those guys with the back. Uh, Conklin practiced more than he probably has. Lawan was out there and did some things. Uh, Kendrick Lewis actually back for the yep. first time in the regular season. That would be some good safety depth. Obviously, Mariota with the elbow and Luke Stocker with the calf. And, and Luke Stocker's a guy who's getting to play some football right now, getting a chance to, to make some things happen all over. I had a chance to visit with Luke Stocker yesterday in the locker room, and my first question was, has your role changed in the tight end grouping with the fact that Delaney Walker is out for the year. Luke, how has your role changed as a tight end with Delaney Walker's injury? You know, well, it comes down to we got to go out and execute better and, you know, fill a void that he had. And everybody has to step up and do different things that we were doing in the past before he got hurt. So, you know, just growing, going forward, we had to, you know, whatever the coaches asked us to do, we got to be able to go out there and execute. You've been branded as a blocking tight end through your career, but through two games, four catches already. What's it like being a guy who's looked to to catch passes now? That's part of being a tight end and a fullback when that, that time comes. But, uh, you know, I just I make the plays when they come to me, and that's what I'm doing. The style of ball that the Titans are playing right now seems like it's exactly up Luke Stocker's alley. Yeah, you know, we're, we ran the ball how many times a day? 30, 40 times. So that's exactly what I like to do, you know, get, get the ball going and play action that helps me in the past game. So it's a good thing. Luke Stocker, certainly a guy in some shape there. Mike Keith got a new microphone. I did, after you made fun of the Bob Barker microphone. Good story about Luke Stocker, though. So he's being recruited. He's out of the state of Kentucky, and he's being recruited to play football at the University of Tennessee. He's at Bruce Pearl's basketball camp at Tennessee. And so they're, they're really trying to, you know, to swing him to come play football at Tennessee. And so Bruce Pearl offers him a chance to walk on in basketball saying, oh, yeah, you're such a great athlete. And I think he really was a good high school basketball player. I don't know that he was an SEC basketball player. And he was telling me the story, recounting the story again yesterday about the fact that, yeah, I kind of knew what was going on. I was kind of going there anyway. But I thought it was cool (laughs) because, obviously, Tennessee was very good in basketball at the point that he was there uh, in school. They were SEC champions. And so he uh, probably thrilled to have have gotten that offer, but a good athlete, and he's having a chance to show it right now. Yeah, be a pretty good power forward too. I mean, right. kind of a Kurt, maybe a Kurt Rambis or a Bill Lambeer, somebody that's going to get in there and and uh, bang bodies with guys. But I think he has done a good job, uh, you know, filling in and kind of trying to fill the void with Delaney Walker. We'll have to see how that kind of transpires moving forward. 
What, what did Clowney say to him on that sideline? I, 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 he he was I also in the middle of that, and uh, well, that was a big penalty in this game I on don't Sunday. Know, I don't know why Clowney – Clowney's had two things happen here, that and then the infamous, uh, I guess um, – Sims comment he made fun of uh, LaShawn Sims. Yeah, yeah sure, sure did. He made fun, he made of, fun of LaShawn Sims, and on the next play, LaShawn Sims intercepted That's a right. pass that uh-huh. turned turned out to be a very big play in the game. I have no idea. We we couldn't from our vantage point. We didn't see what happened. I know he kind of puffed up at him, like got in his face, and I don't know what was exchanged, but it was he was kind of clowny was kind of coming after Luke Stalker. And apparently, Stalker wasn't having any of that. He just kind of walked well, did you away. Just see him? Yeah, I mean, he's a, <laughs> if he's I a looked, big dude. If I looked like that, I wouldn't be afraid of anybody. Right, but it turned out to be a great play for the old Tennessee Titans. I well, mean, it was huge because yeah. thirteen twenty-five to go in the game. You're suddenly behind, and now an eleven-yard gain becomes a twenty-six-yard gain, and you go from your twenty-five to Houston's forty-nine when you've had no offense. Right. For two plus quarters, well, jump jump started that drive. There's no doubt. The guy's wearing street clothes. He's not. You're not even involved, <laughs> buddy. Stay out of this. Would Coach Matt call him a dummy? I think I agree. Well, he referred to him as a big dummy, <laughs> like for, like Fred Sanford used to do on Sanford and Son. Hmm. Talk about Lamont. Well, Tony would yeah. talk about his son Lamont. He would call him a big dummy. And then hmm. Grady, would, would, Grady would chime would, in probably. Yes. Grady and Rollo, his yeah. friend Rollo. <laughs> I'm out. You need to watch some of these. So uh, I'm out. This is classic. Never seen the Sanford and Son. Mm-mm. Ever heard of Red Fox? Nope. Okay. All right. All right. Moving right along. <laughs> Let me check that off. No Red the, Fox. The old OTP. Okay. Now, speaking of that, it's time for Amy Wells' wonders. Well, first, I wonder what Red Fox is. Um, He's no, my one of the greatest comedians of the 20th century. Ah. I'm making note of that. Yes. Um, my real Amy Wells. Don't wonders. watch it with the young people. Okay, I won't. No young you, people. You might Red even be Fox. too young for that. Yeah. For some of the language. Oh, get out of here! All right, Amy Wells wonders why is Nick Williams back on this Tennessee Titans team? Okay, let's talk about the roster moves just very quickly, going through what they have done uh, to sort of bring things back together. Kenneth Durden is back on the roster. Yes. And they they also bring up Dalen Dawkins because of Fluellen's injury, and then Nick Williams is brought back after he had a really good training camp. Uh, and some people are like, okay, you, you replace Cam Batson with more of the veteran Nick Williams, the fourth-year man out of UConn. Jim, why would you think he was the right move at this point? Well, I, I think because he brings a veteran presence. I, I do think he's very productive. I think if he didn't suffer a hamstring injury at the end of training camp or at the end of the preseason, he would have made this team. I think the Titans got a break and they were able to get Batson back so you kind of get the best of both worlds you get to have a veteran who can step in and play on special teams a guy who can who has proven he can play in nfo games and then you also got bats and who you can continue to develop and nick williams just tried to get healthy tried to stay ready uh, worked out for this team last week uh, watched this team play during the course of the first uh, couple of games and now he's in a position to step in and help if needed, and uh, I think he can step in and play on special teams immediately. Amy, to your question, I think to take Jim's point a step further, the other reason you go back to Nick Williams is he can be part of the 46 on game day. I don't think Cameron Batson at this point in his career can, with Darius Jennings and Adoree Jackson handling the returning, 
I don't think he's ready to play offense for this team, meaning Batson. Nick Williams, you could keep up on Sunday because he can play special teams and take Fluellen's place. And also, because he's been in this Matt LaFleur offense before, there are things he can do to help you in certain situations. So I think, and we talk about this a lot, and, and sometimes we, I, I know I do, I go too deep inside about, you know, the 46. There, there are some guys that you keep on the 53-man roster because you just want depth. There's some guys that you keep on the roster because you want to develop those players. You have no intention of playing them. But then you've got to think about if this guy can't be on the 46, we don't have the luxury of having him on the 53 right now. I think Nick Williams gives you a better option to potentially up. I think there's a decent shot that he's up on Sunday as part of the 46. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's a good question. And hopefully you don't have as many, you know, automatic, you know, inactives just because this guy is not able to play because of the injury. Now you're getting back to the strategy, decision making on some of these guys. Where can you go heavy? Where can this guy help us on teams? And I, and I agree. I mean, I think he could be available as early as Sunday. Well, and the Titans at this moment, I mean, 10 offensive linemen on the roster. I don't ever remember that, Jim. Yeah, and I think part of it's because of uh, you know Jack Conklin right. being slow early. You have to carry carry a little bit heavy there, and and then obviously t- Tyler Merritt's called up from the practice squad last Saturday to bump that number up even more. So um, will it always stay at that number? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But that's where it is now as uh, you're waiting for guys to get healthy and dealing with some injuries. So that's where the Titans are at this point. They're at six wide receivers. They're at four running backs, two quarterbacks, down to three tight ends on the active roster. Ferkser is back on the practice squad. Ten offensive linemen. Uh, defensively, after the move, still at five defensive linemen, two D linemen on the practice squad at this point. Uh, at this moment, with Aaron Wallace gone, you're down to five outside linebackers, five inside linebackers, only backer on the practice squad is Robert Spillane. In the secondary, you're at 12 total, counting Joshua Kalu and Damian Webb on the practice squad, so 10 on the active roster at this moment. But three moves this week, and I think John Robinson designed the roster with very much the idea in mind of being able to have two to three spot flexibility and and with his practice squad uh, Darius Kilgo uh, is a guy who's played in this league he is not a young player he's uh, in his fourth year in the league out of Maryland he's played in 18 games 6-3-3-20 he's a nose tackle uh, along with Deion Simon who's another big defensive lineman he's 28 years old wow so I mean I think they've got pieces ready to go John Robinson isn't just putting guys on the practice squad to practice. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're exactly right. And, and I thought the, the decision, to speaking of keeping with the roster moves, the decision to to ride with Finch instead of Aaron Wallace was interesting. I mean, Aaron Wallace is a guy who certainly has had his moments, had, also had some issues staying healthy. Uh, I thought he did a couple of, you know, he did things well. He, he gave mm-hmm. you some versatility, being able to play inside and being able to play outside. But was he great at any one thing I'm not so sure they felt like he was a guy they couldn't replace I think with Finch he's got the potential and has flashed where I think he could turn into a guy who could help this team uh, you know moving forward so 
that's why they decided to go with Sharif Finch. And now you're starting to see some other guys get healthy, especially Harold Landry, who I thought flashed and uh, mm. and and not exactly drawing praise from his head coach yet. I think he's I think Mike Vrabel's been a little bit hesitant to shower him with too much praise. And even Harold Landry said, "Hey, I've got to earn that. Uh, I've got high expectations for myself as well." But you, he, he is starting to. Uh, flash a little bit more well don't you think he's going to be the guy who Vrabel treats like his own Ken on the team I I think because he plays the same position that Vrabel did I think because he went to Boston College where Vrabel's son goes to school I think he's going to be hard on Harold Landry I think he expects more out of Harold Landry and I think he's going to be harder on Harold Landry than anybody which is probably going to make Harold Landry a great player I agree, and, and it's funny, Landry, you know, in the locker room yesterday talked about some of that, and uh, and, and he smiled when, when talking about Vrabel saying he played just okay, because that was exactly what came out of Mike Vrabel's mouth on Monday when asked about him. He said he was okay, he did some good and bad. Uh, you know, I, I don't get the sense that Harold Landry is going to be pumping his chest out for a couple of quarterback pressures either. I mean, this is a guy who likes to get after the quarterback. And while he did have some success, and I thought he did flash, he didn't get a sack. So until those start coming, until quarterbacks start going down, he's going to be a little bit hesitant to say, hey, I've arrived myself. He, he loved being out there on Sunday. He said thought the atmosphere was lit, had eight family members there for the game. Uh, but he knows he has to get better to help this team. Harold Landry and Mike Vrabel will be best friends in 10 years. It's one of those situations. They hate each other forever. I, Why don't know? You know what I mean. I like he, He's like, oh, man, he rags me so hard. He does. I hate this. Oh, why is he so mean to me? Man, what I just want to be like what everyone else. What was the else? most common word in the OTAs and the minicamps? Harold. Yeah. That was the most common word we heard Vrabel say. Yeah. Harold. Harold. And, and you hear honor. You know, they call him honor, honor. in practice. Yeah. His yeah. teammates call him yes. honor. Yeah. We call him honor, <laughs> not to his face. He's bigger gonna, than me. I like him. But but a good thing goal for him. Not only does he have Vrabel riding, but he's got uh, he's got an offensive lineman in Taylor Lewan, who they have a little bit of a relationship going back to the training before the NFL draft. Taylor obviously has a lot of respect for him as well, uh, and from day one, he's kind of taken an interest in helping him get better and showing him different techniques that give offensive linemen problem so when you got a head coach who takes an interest in you when you got an offensive lineman one of the best offensive linemen in the league that's doing that it's great for Harold Landry's career and I get the sense he's a really a motivated uh young man who's got a small child and uh and is is wants to be good for his family for this franchise and for his own uh his own sake honor Honor Landry. <laughs> it is funny here, guys. The, the, call him Honor. He'll never outs- live that down. When the outside <laughs> linebackers call him Honor, I just get tickled every time I hear that. <laughs> okay, so people don't have all day. Let's change topics. Oh, um, you don't? <laughs> the, what else no, could you be doing? They don't have all day. You've got to go somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> the Titan, who is under the radar, playing the best football through two games. We've asked everybody – among the untangibles to come up with their person. Mine is Logan Ryan. Okay. Logan Ryan, 14 tackles, one sack. I love, love, love Logan Ryan as the nickel. I thought he's a really good corner, but he may be as perfectly suited mentally and physically to the nickel 
as anybody in today's NFL. And I think he's his pass rush the other day on Watson was absolutely fantastic. That quarterback sack was phenomenal. He's taking his game to another level. I mean, I, I loved his approach this offseason. He's one of the guys that led the defensive backs in their workout routine. He worked with Eddie George boxing. He he made himself stronger and improved his hand-eye coordination and his technique by doing a lot of extra stuff this offseason. And I can t- I think it's paid off uh, for him. I can already tell a big difference in how he plays now compared to how he was last year. Needs his first Titans pick, though. This would be a good weekend to get his first Titans interception. Amy, your Titan under the radar who has played well the first two weeks. Mine is Josh Klein. And wow, yeah. look at you talking offensive line. I know. About the right guard. Well, Josh Klein has been quietly consistent since we brought him here. He's just been a sturdy player no matter where they put him. I think all of this was perfectly illustrated for me against the Houston Texans when Josh Klein manhandled Whitney Merciless, like completely laid him out. It was beautiful. It was a thing. It was just, it was magical. And I think that that's what we, this Titans team needs is a consistent guy who can make the plays that matter. And that's it. You never hear from him. Here's a stat I always look at because this tells me who really likes to play football. Who leads your team on offense in tackles after a turnover? Josh Klein. Of course. Josh Klein's going to go. If a guy intercepts a pass, he's going to go downfield. He likes to hit people, uh-huh. which is what the game is all about. At Regardless of position, I'm not quarterback, but regardless of co- uh, position other than quarterback. I said it wrong, but you know what I mean. He likes to go get after people, and I think it goes back to the fact that like Carl Klug, who was the same way, mm-hmm. he was a wrestler in high school. He was a state champion wrestler in Ohio. And guys, first of all, there is no tougher sport than wrestling. That, I mean, that people who do that, I don't care how big or small you are, what classification, you got guts if you're a wrestler mm-hmm. to put yourself out there and do that. And, I mean, you like to get after somebody if you – you know, you've got that in your heart and your soul, and Josh Klein does, and he's playing really well right now. That's a good one, Amy. He's like a big grizzly bear. I mean, he's uh, and and the the play that Amy's referring to. I mean, he used great leverage on that. He put Merciless on his back. That's one of those plays that gets played over and over again in meeting rooms, and it's probably one that in Houston that you're. Uh, getting pointed out, you can't have this happen to you. But uh, I I think that's a good one. I'm going with, for mine, Wesley Woodard. And it's hard to say he's an underrated or unheralded guy because he's a team captain. He's certainly played in this league for a long time. But I kind of feel like there's always a lot of conversation about Rashawn Evans, the first-round pick coming in here. There's been a lot of chatter about Jayon Brown, who had a great offseason Will Compton's kind of a new guy in the middle, and the guy who sometimes gets left out of the conversation is Wesley Woodard, and he, he is as steady as they come. He currently leads this team in tackles with 22 as a quarterback uh, pressure, one tackle for a loss. He played in 63 out of 67 plays along with eight s- special team snaps against Houston. He played in 60 of 62 plays with four special team snaps in the open against Miami. So 123 of 129 snaps so far from a guy who never leaves the field, kind of sets the tone on uh, on defense. It's a great point, and to take it in a different direction, three years ago on the, 25th, the 2015 team, he was coming off the field on third downs. And now three years later, at age 32, 
he's not coming off the field, which tells you he's playing great football and has probably continued to improve. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that a couple of years ago people talk about him being replaced and kind of sure. being phased out, and I think he kind of took things up a notch from a training standpoint, from the way he approached his diet, the uh, way he approached playing in the league. It's why he's been able to stay as durable as he has. He loves playing. I mean, uh, you watch his energy out there on the practice field. He'll come out of those revolving doors sometimes you know, backpedaling. Uh, he's always kind of leading the charge. You know, on the defensive uh, in the defensive group, getting guys going. Uh, I think he's certainly uh, worthy of, of fitting into this three with uh, Logan Ryan and Josh Klein. I want to mention something off the field that people have started to notice in the last couple of weeks, and you've written about it. If you've been to Nissan Stadium, you have seen the "We Stand For." promos that the players are doing and people are starting to become aware of this titans campaign known as we stand for and it's been a year in the making something that they have spent a lot of time on as i mentioned you wrote about it kind of give us the the gist of what we stand for is all about for the tennessee titans well i think it's a a collective group uh and a collective mission from not only the players but from the you know community relations department led by Tina Tuggle by ownership Amy Adams Strunk and involves John Robbins and Mike Vrabel it, it kind of allows players to uh, make their causes or what's important to them known and, and the work that they do in the community uh, and they will be featured for that certainly uh, during home games and and as this season goes on I, I think players you know, have felt like maybe some of the stuff they've done uh, over the years has been a little bit overshadowed by perhaps some of the, the the anthem stuff that's happened here. This is a way for them to have their work amplified. And and, and, and whether it's Logan Ryan working with dogs, uh, you know, whether it's John Robinson and his, you know, him wanting to get uh, more funding and awareness to, to people who deal with diabetes since he has a daughter that is you know, has diabetes. All these players have different uh, causes that they want to trumpet, and uh, that's kind of what the We Stand For is all about, giving them a bigger voice and letting their work and good work in the community be seen. As we've talked with people about it, Amy, the one constant has been Amy, mm-hmm. Amy Adams-Strunk. Uh, the players, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, all talk, Tina Tuggle, um, all talking about how Amy Adams Strunk pulled this thing together because she thought it was so important to keep the family atmosphere going throughout this organization. And, and that's so, you've spent a lot of time with her in a, in a lot of different situations. So I'll, I'll just get you to speak to that, if you will. She is very player-centric, very player-minded. She recognizes that this is a job for these guys and that they have careers or they have things outside of their career. They have things that they're passionate about. They have families that they're passionate about. And she wants to make sure that they feel the family support that she is giving to them. They she sees this whole team as a family. It's her Titans family. And I think that for her, it is so important to make sure that these guys feel like they're being backed up a little bit, um, to feel like their voices are being heard and that they're given the opportunity and the platform to show off the 
different facets of their lives. But she loves the fans. Oh, she, my gosh, she, she does. genuinely, I, I would guess, and I don't want to speak for her because I, I don't speak for ownership for sure, Mm-mm. but I, I would guess maybe the biggest surprise that she has enjoyed about taking this on as controlling owner three and a half years ago has been the interaction that she's gotten to have with the fans. It, whether it be at tailgates or at the uniform unveiling or, you know, we just had a chance to show her at training camp, uh, meeting kids before the game. The kids who were there as part of the We Stand For via Delaney Walker at from Rocket Town mm-hmm. uh, to going to the Hall of Fame with Robert Brazil and entertaining his family and making, you know, doing the reunion of Oilers players to try to pull it all together – she wants the fans to know about all that and certainly wants the fans to know what these guys are doing and that the fans can get involved with this as well. I guess in large part she's trying to marry everything together in the best way possible. And she was kind enough uh, to sit down with me last Saturday and she doesn't do a lot of interviews mm-hmm. because she she absolutely does not want to make it about her but she thinks the We Stand For initiative is important enough that she actually did give us an interview. So let's take a look at that and a listen. Amy, what was it about this issue that made you know that you had to be directly involved? Well, I thought there was a lot of negativity about our players. And, you know, these aren't the guys that I know. These are community leaders they're great guys they're always working to be out in the community and i just thought it was important that i help them tell their story you started having conversations a year ago what was it that you learned during the course of this process that made you see we can take a negative and make it into a positive well you know it 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 first was about listening to them because each player had you know, a different passion that they wanted to pursue. And so, you know, it was a time to just kind of keep quiet and listen to what they were saying. And what's interesting about We Stand For is this is not a league program. This is something that the players and the head coach and the general manager and you have done together. What are your goals for We Stand For? You know, we want our fans to know our players how they really are you know not just professional athletes but fathers husbands friends you know community leaders and you know that's a side not everyone gets to see they see sunday but we want them to see this other side and it's a great side and it is not i stand for it is we stand for and that was very intentional why was why was it important to use we I think our fans have always heard me talk about family and the Titans is a family. You know, to use the word I stand for, it wasn't the right ring. If it's a someone's passionate individual cause, it's our cause too. And we're gonna get with them and stand with them and help them get that cause out there. I'm gonna wrap it up in this way. In speaking with Titans fans, what do you want them to know about we stand for? I always talk about the fans and I care about the fans and I want them to feel like this we is not just the Titans. It is we, the Titan players, coaches, staff, and fans. We would love to have them become involved in this great program. We stand for is gonna be a great thing for the city, for the state, 
and for all of us. That's your controlling owner, Amy Adams Strunk. And uh, there will be kids and counselors from various nonprofits that will attend games. And the idea is when, when Delaney Walker gives these 30 kids the opportunity from Rocket Town and the counselors to be there, that's an opportunity they would never get in their life to see something. Right. He, he believes they need different experiences. They believe a lot of these young people need these different experiences to see these things are out here. You can achieve these things if you, you know, follow the rules and bear down and, you know, to give that, that kind of motivation. And I think that's in, incredibly important. I do too. And, and I, I can tell you that, you know, the players, you know, Amy's involvement in this, uh, you know, from the very beginning has meant a lot to them. And I talked to Logan Ryan. I talked to Wesley Woodard. I talked to Jarrell Casey. I talked to Derek Morgan about this. And, and not only are they happy about the We Stand For campaign, but they're very they're thrilled that she has an interest in them and what they're doing. And uh, that's important off the field. And it's important when they leave the building to know that. But I think in building a team and having guys kind of fight and stand for one another – that that goes a long way. I mean, and I don't know this like that, uh, you know, in every NFL city. I mean, that, that that that's how you get guys to play together and and have each other's back. Anything you'd like to add, Miss Wells? I think it's awesome. I think it's such a good campaign. I think I've seen her have the meetings with the players and get involved. There's some frank conversations. They, they have had some serious discussions, and I think it's awesome that she has been so willing to listen to them and give them even more of a platform and including the entire Titans community, we'll call it in this fans and everyone in this building. It, it is such an awesome thing. I'm excited to see where it goes all year. Well, and they're putting their money and and these different teams in the league. This is more of the league initiative part. So players are encouraged to give up to $5,000 to the nonprofit of their choice. And certainly those with, social justice in mind are prioritized in this the league has matching grants and then if it's a titans player and it's a non-profit in our region then the titans foundation will match so theoretically and this is not in every case but just a best case scenario if you give five thousand dollars you could end up giving twenty thousand dollars to a non-profit which is so cool well that's putting your money where your mouth is i guess it is and, and i would encourage people to go to titans online there's a community page where you've got the player testimonials i know jeff harding did a lot of work in kind of putting that together but you've got the testimonial testimonials you got the videos you've got all the player causes on there you can find out all the information whether it's Jarrell Casey or Derek Morgan or Delaney Walker or John Robinson or Mike Vrabel I mean there's uh, that list is going to continue to grow uh, during the course of this season and uh, there's a lot of good information up right now all right let's talk ball for our final minutes on the program headed to Jacksonville there are many around the league that after their win on Sunday which I will again for the hundredth time will contend was not an upset. They did not upset Jack they did not upset New England the other day. How they beat them I think shows at this moment they're a better team. Now that doesn't mean it'll last forever for Doug Marone and crew. We certainly know this season goes in stages, but it was a dominant offensive performance. It was a dominant defensive performance and from what we've seen in them starting 2 and 0 with wins over the Giants and the Patriots Jim White is 
Doug Marone's team is living up to the preseason billing at this moment. Well, I mean, they should have won the AFC Championship game last year, if you ask me. They they, they dominated that game, kind of came unraveled at the end. Patriots got some momentum, and uh, and the Jags just couldn't hold them off. And uh, I think what you saw on Sunday was a Jacksonville team that not only still stewing a little bit from what happened last year, but uh, I talked to John Osier, a buddy of mine that covers the team for Jaguars.com, has covered that team from way back in the late 90s. Uh, when he used to work at the Florida Times Union, he says part of their motivation is what happened last year, but another part of their motivation is the fact that they know that they are in a in a window where they can get to Super Bowls and and win championships, and that's with young guys, you know, whether it's Jalen Ramsey or Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, Miles Jack. I mean, you've got a number of guys uh, that certainly uh, young guys that are on the upswing, but you've also got a bunch of veterans, whether it's Calais Campbell uh, in the mix. Um, they feel like they're built to win now, and uh, and watching them play on Sunday and watching where they've gotten to as a franchise, uh, they're, they're going to be a tough team. They're going to be a team to be reckoned with, uh, you know, for, for years to come. You know, because they're in the window. I mean, Bortles has just gotten the new contract, and and he's playing very well. But he is not a phenomenally expensive option at quarterback. I think he's making, what, $19 million? Which, as NFL quarterbacks go, that's about a base salary. That's about in the middle. And I know that sounds high, but you got Leonard Fournette at running back who's getting paid second-year money. You've got Jalen Ramsey who's getting paid third-year money. You've got Miles Jack, who's getting paid third-year money. You've got a guy like Keelan Cole at wide receiver who was an undrafted last year out of Kentucky Wesleyan. You're not paying him. D.D. Westbrook was a fourth-round draft pick, and so you're, he's in his second year, so you're not paying him. Yannick Ngakwe, their great pass rusher, is in his third year, so you're not paying him. Well, here's the news. After next year, some of those guys will depart because you won't be able to pay them all. You're going to have to start paying some well, of you, these guys. You make, I mean, and this is everybody. This is not them. This is the Titans and the Patriots and everybody else. You have to make choices. So when you're in these windows and you have these teams together like this, you have to take advantage. Yeah, that, and that's they, they know that. I mean, I think they realize that I mean, everybody knows the way the league works. And, sure. and you've got to start making some tough decisions in this core group and these uh, you know the way this team is built now is not going to look the same in a couple of years. So, you know they they feel like they're built to win now. And uh, I know it sounds like the conversation shifted quickly from a big win over New England that got the nation's attention to Tennessee. I mean they they remember what happened last year against mm-hmm. the Titans. Those two games, uh, they're still stewing from that. Marcel Darius had some things to say after that game in Nashville, uh, you know, at the end of the regular season about wishing they could play the Titans in the playoffs instead of the Bills because they felt like they could beat the Titans. Um, so they'll be ready for this game. I have no question this team is going to be ready for that game too because they know what they're going into and uh, it's going to take a really good performance to win. I'd say the atmosphere is going to be unreal. Oh, I think it's going to be rocking and rolling. I mean, if you saw in that Patriots game, that stadium was full. Mm -hmm. So I think that division game, the Titans, which these two teams have a lot of history together, I think that stadium is going to be just filled with electricity. How do you win? If you're Tennessee, well, I'm. I think I'm. I'm anxious to see how the quarterback situation plays out. I still think you've got to 
be prepared to go down there and, and win a fist fight. I mean, uh, be physical with them, kind of like what you did last year. And then Titans were able to pull away down the stretch in that game in the heat. We're blessed with some upper 90-degree weather uh, here this week to get acclimated and to be ready for what's gonna, what it's going to be like down there on Sunday. So this team's conditioned. This team is physical. This team's ready to, to stand toe-to-toe with any team in the league, I think. And I think that's the way you'll win this game this week. I mean, no matter who's playing quarterback, whether it's Mariota, whether it's Gabbert, yeah, you're going to pick your spots and you got to make some plays in the passing game. But I think it's a game you've got to rise up, uh, you know, be prepared to be in a fist fight on defense and then offensively be ready to throw some uh, blows yourself. Yep. I think it's going to be just a full-on dogfight. I think it's going to be hard fought. I think it's going to be tough. And I don't really think it's going to be that high scoring. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think it's just going to be down and dirty, last man standing football. It's, it's funny. You look at the numbers in this, and you talked about winning four out of the last five. And last year, the last game was a 15-10 ugly win. But the Titans put up 37 in the game before that. They won a game 36-22. to They won a game 42-39. to uh, Been a lot of points in this series over the last in, in those last meetings. But uh, I, I think I'd be surprised if it gets to that number. I think the key number, you know, this is a passing league. And, and here's what's funny. There have been 700-yard runs. Rushers, seven 100 yard rushers through two weeks. There have been 33 100 yard receivers. There have actually been six 400 yard passers. So there have been almost as many 400 yard passers as there have been 100 yard rushers. That shows where we're going as a league and as a game. People throw the ball, but still, those rushing attempts, if you're, if you're able to get them, the Titans last week, 34 rushing attempts since the start of the 2016 season. They are 12-1 and one when they have 30 or more carries. Huh. They are 7-14 and 14 when they have less than 30 carries. So, I mean, it's a, it's a passing league, but if you can run it and you can control it, especially if you're able to turn and hand it to Mariano Rivera, Derrick Henry there <laughs> in the fourth quarter and put him to sleep. You know, that's what he wants mm-hmm. to do going back home. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, that's that's where you want to be. If he's in the game in the fourth quarter pounding, that's a good, good thing for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, and, and they're going to be different if Fournette's not playing. That That's one I'm keeping an eye on during the course of the week, the injury report, because when he's not in there, they allow Bortles to do, do a little bit more. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like his game improves – because they're not going to hand it to Fournette as much. You still don't really want to tackle Fournette. No, and I think when he's in there, they feel like, okay, we've got this big horse. Let's ride him. And uh, certainly it takes away from Bortles' ability to throw the ball a little bit. That's uh, that's that's going to be how they attack things, depending on whether or not uh, number 27's back there. Okay, we've got just a few seconds left. We're taking the whole hour this morning. I like it. How about that? There's a lot going there on. There was a lot going on. Okay, so at Titans, Amy. Yes. Spell it. A-M-I-E. A-M-I-E. At J. Wyatt Sports on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And remember, this afternoon, uh, Titans today after practice with a complete update. Six o'clock tonight on Titans Radio. Keith Bullock joins us for Titans tonight. Blaine Gabbert is our guest. That's going to be fun. It'll be outstanding. Little Missouri pride oh, in here. It's going to be that's great. Woo, woo. <laughs> Who does Missouri have this weekend? Georgia. <laughs> woo. It's going to be a ball game. Woohoo. That does it for the <laughs> OTP. Thanks for being with us.